Hey guys, it's Haley. What's up? Well, here we are. We have come to the final episode of the Christianity and Culture series here on Kindled. I gotta be honest, when I started this series, I knew that the topic, the theme was one that I was going to be excited about, but I didn't realize just how, I don't know, just how um, enriching and energizing it would be for me to talk about these issues and these topics that are so relevant and so uh, just current. I mean, they're literally what we are dealing with the headlines we're reading, the issues we're encountering, the the things we're thinking through on a daily basis. And so I I don't know about you, but I feel like I really hit my stride in this in this series and I don't want to go away from this topic really or these these themes, the theme of Christianity and culture where the two intersect. I don't Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure it's something that you really graduate from. Just like you don't graduate from the gospel, you don't really graduate from understanding how the gospel impacts you living as a believer in God's world. So as far as what comes next, uh, I'm going to take a break. (laughs) I need a break. So I'm going to take off December and January from publishing new episodes on Kindled um, to pray, be with my family, enjoy the holidays. I'll probably take some time off social as well. And just get mental brain space and heart space to consider what is next. I do think it's going to be along the same lines. I don't, I I mean, I think that's, this is just kind of the future of what this podcast is, is examining the intersection of Christianity and culture and discussing relevant issues, political, theological, philosophical, social, social issues from a biblical worldview. That is my jam. I love it. I never get tired of it. I do get tired, but I don't get tired of that. You know, I mean, I need breaks, but it's not because I am tired of the topic or the content um, that we've been discussing. So I'm very, very thankful to God for giving me the clarity that he has at this point. Thank you to those of you who have prayed for me. I know lots of you have told me you've been praying for this ministry. And I mean, that really means so much to me that you would even think to pray for me and, and, and what I'm doing on this podcast. Um, so thank you. Thanks for that. And you can keep praying over the break. You can pray that God would give me clarity on what is next, what topics need to be discussed, um, how to go about them, what people to interview, and just for um, humility and wisdom as I take those next steps. Um, and on the on the topic of taking a break from publishing new episodes, while I will not be publishing new episodes on Kindled on Mondays, I will continue to publish my Firestarters episodes every Friday for my Patreon community because those people are financially supporting my ministry and what I'm doing, and I want to continue to create content for them. So I will keep doing those every Friday. If you don't want to be without Kindled type topics and conversations, join us on Patreon in Firestarters. Uh, it's at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. It's $10 a month. You will get an episode every Friday that is 15 to 30-ish minutes. Um, usually they're closer f- to really 20 to 30 minutes, but it's still a short enough time that you can, you know, they're, they're easier than the hour-long episodes to actually consume. And they're always um, cultural 
theological, political, social conversations from a biblical worldview. And it's just me and the mic most of the time. Sometimes I share clips from um, episodes that did not make it into the uh, the main episode on Monday. So that is going to continue. If you want to join us, I'll still be doing that. And you get instant access whenever you join to all of the past episodes. So I think I have 13 in there now. So you will get instant, instant access the second you sign up to all the other episodes. Another thing I'm going to do in there is um, be engaging on the Patreon community over this break. And um, I poll people in there on what topics they want to hear me cover. I mean, this is more of like, you know, if if the main podcast was a gym, the Patreon community is private training. You know, I, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you're thinking, um, what you're dealing with, what questions you would like for me to cover in those episodes. So I'd love to have you in there. Okay, guys, that was a long intro, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. And I'm so excited for what is to come. Here is my conversation with Greg Kokel. Um, so today on on Kindled, I'm chatting with Greg Kokel. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> You're welcome. Good Took to talk us a to few you. tries, but there we go. Um, <laughs> so I am I am excited to chat with you today because uh, you are someone with a lot of wisdom in the area of sharing our faith and um, and in sharing the truth of the gospel with the world. And mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. uh, I was just telling you where we're at in this series that I've been doing here on Kindled Christianity and Culture. We've been looking at a bunch of different topics from both a biblical worldview and a secular worldview, and we've kind of been comparing them. So we've been sort of gearing up and, you know, getting all the knowledge and all the head head knowledge and understanding and information. And now it's time to go out into the world and actually use that. And so I think you are the perfect person to have this conversation with us today. Well, Um, thank you. Uh, You know, at Stand to Reason, uh, we we have a a concept. We're building ambassadors with knowledge, wisdom, and character. And the order is important. First, you got to get the the answers right. You got to get the foundation on. You got to get the facts right. But then how do you communicate those facts, that information, that good defense of Christianity. How do you communicate that? How do you get that that uh, that information into play? And so there's generally a missing bridge from the content to the conversation or from the scholarship to the relationship. We call that wisdom or tactical wisdom. That's an artful method. So I'm glad that we can kind of cap off your series of knowledge and accurately inform mind is the way we put it to get into the wisdom and artful method of engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an important transition to make because a lot of times we we love to fill up, you know, fill our heads with all the information, all the knowledge. And this is my tendency is I just want to know all the right answers. But mm-hmm. then when it comes to actually talking with another human being about it, who doesn't see things the way I do, I'm suddenly like a deer in the headlights. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, I wasn't prepared for this. I, I have the, I know why I believe what I believe, but how do I have a conversation with a skeptic or with um, an atheist or an agnostic and someone who... Sure doesn't even start from the same foundation. So it's like, where do we even begin? Well, I have been there and done that for sure for many years. So um, uh, I'm I'm with you guys and the rest of your your viewers because Mm -hmm. this is not always an easy thing to do. And I think this is why having a game plan of sorts to make that transition is so valuable. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, just starting out, um, can you kind of give us, just so everyone's on the same page, uh, a, a definition of what evangelism is 
and what the role, what role it plays um, in the life of a believer. Mm-hmm. Well, evangelism is an English word that's an, uh, that's anglicized from a Greek word, which which is e- e- evangelos or something like that in the Greek, and um, uh, and that's simply translator or it means good news. All right, mm-hmm. and so for, we as followers of Jesus have good news to communicate. So evangelism is the is the process of communicating that good news which entails bad news, but it's only good news because of the bad news. So the two are together. And when you look at the preaching of the book of Acts, for example, you see the bad news communicated first in almost every case. And then the good news contrasted with that. So this is why the good news is good, because there's a rescue that's available for humanity and for individual human beings from the things that are really the things that plague them, the deepest things, and that's sin. And there's a culpability for that. That means we're responsible. And so before we can be rescued from the experience of sin that's destroying our lives, first we have to deal with the guilt of sin. And that's that's the heart of the good news. The guilt of sin is a forgiven, or there is forgiveness for it. And then we can enter into a new friendship with God by which God treats us not as rebels, but as friends, as children, and he begins to raise us, and that's the process of sanctification. That really is, is what the good news is, and it's it's defended in a certain way, but, or it's verified, like by the resurrection. And so when Paul sums up the notion of the good news in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you what was delivered to me, that Christ died for sins, was raised, and then there were witnesses to that kind of thing. So he, he couples interestingly, he couples the core of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, which is the foundation of the rescue, with the reasons why we ought to believe it. The resurrection was witnessed by people, including Paul, who was a hostile at the time and was convinced by the resurrection. So that's that's the maybe a thumbnail sketch of, of, of evangelism. It isn't just telling people about Jesus. There is a substantive content that involves those things that I just mentioned that are really important. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I didn't, I didn't know that that was actually the the root and the official definition. So that's interesting. So, I mean, I don't know if, if you, I'm sure you've experienced this, you've heard this from people, but I think a lot of Christians hear the word evangelism and they see it as good news for them. Right. I mean, I'm what you just described is, is amazing news. It's the best news actually, Mm -hmm. but it also comes with this weight and this burden of, Oh no, but I have to share it. You know, Mm -hmm. how do I share it? Or what does that look like? Or can I, can I kind of wait for the the Holy spirit to lead me and give me this like perfect opportunity? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we'll get into some of that, but uh, why do you think so many of us, um, even those like myself who have been believers for a long time, you know, right. a couple decades or more, uh, why, why do we have, um, maybe some pushback or, or, you know, sense of fear, Real, fear of man, I don't know, right. uh, associated sure. with it. Is that, yeah, is that well, something well, the- you, you hear a lot? Mm-hmm. The reluctance, I think, is natural. On the one hand, mm-hmm. we have tasted of the good fruit of salvation, and uh, that has made a dramatic difference in our life. 
and and so we want to we want other people to experience it but but there's also a risk that goes along with that because like i said there's the good news because there's bad news and so you know communicating with people the bad news you know that's they don't like to hear that by the way they know the bad news they know that something is wrong they know right. something's wrong with the world and they know that the thing that's wrong with the world has a lot to do with the thing that's wrong with humanity and they're part of humanity and making a contribution. Mm -hmm. Now they don't always want to admit that, but that's in there. And it's something if we keep in our minds, then we can um, take advantage of. And this actually, I talk about this in the book in, in a tactic called Inside Out, that God has already built things inside of every single human being that ends up expressing itself on the way out. Mm -hmm. um, but that scenario of engagement, um, uh, is scary because it looks like conflict ahead. And it is that way much of the time, especially initially when we start talking to people because oftentimes there's gonna be a resistance because we're essentially telling people they're wrong about how, they, how they've lived and how they believe. Mm -hmm. And we wanna persuade them of a different way of understanding things. Yeah. Okay, and and um, since since there's of course shrewder ways to do this, and this is part of the game plan. Essentially, that's what it amounts to, and so this is discomforting for Christians to face that circumstance. And this is especially true when we are in a culture that mm -hmm. that abhors the idea of somebody thinking they're right and and the other person is wrong, particularly when it comes to these kinds of issues. Now, just a little insight. Everybody thinks they're right in what they believe. Yeah. Everybody does. Left, right, center, whatever. They all believe they're right, and that's why they believe what they believe. But only the religious person, and particularly the Christian here, is faulted for mm -hmm. thinking they're right, you know, and so right. therefore they're called intolerant. So the the scenario that we're facing now is much more dif diff is much more difficult and much different than it was 47 years ago when I became a Christian at UCLA. <clears throat> Pardon me, and and it was um, uh, uh, it's much more hostile, yeah. and so I understand why, given a particular view of evangelism, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Why so many who love Jesus and have been saved and rescued by him and know the importance of the message that rescued them are sitting on the bench mm -hmm. because they don't know how to get out there in a productive way and they're afraid they're gonna get beat up, which yeah. they could in a, in a metaphoric sense, um, not much of that physically happening in this country, but it is happening more. Yeah. And uh, they're justifiable, understandably frightened Mm -hmm. And and this is part of what I want to do for them is to provide a perspective and a game plan that will help them to navigate in a safe fashion in mm -hmm. otherwise hostile circumstances. Yeah. And I, I know we've mentioned it a little bit, but um, your book Tactics does just that. It provides, mm -hmm. is it seven different game plans for how to engage? No, it, it's one game plan, but, then, game there plan, are but... Multiple, then there are multiple tactics right, okay. that can abet the game plan. One tactic is the core of the game plan, right. and then the other tactics help maneuvering a conversation. I'm just going to do yeah. this as a good author and show the Perfect. picture. This little red deal right there shows that this is the 10th anniversary edition. So oh. if you go to Amazon or Standard Reason or whatever, you want to make sure that you get the 10th anniversary edition because I've expanded quite a bit. The very popular Perfect. for 10 years, first edition, and now, now it's really doing well. It's got a 4.9 average if you check Amazon uh, with awesome. over 700 reviews. And that's like- It's very good. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. I mean, and and I can attest, it is an incredible resource. Um, and you have to buy the paperback, you know, the real book, because you're going to need to highlight it and flip to it all the time. I'm with you. Oh, that's just like me, Haley. I want to yeah. mark the whole thing up, you know. Right. Oh, Absolutely. Great. Well, you kind of were just getting into this, I think, if I know where you were going, but um, you talk about evangelism in a way that I have not, before hearing you discuss it and, and kind of analogize it or analogize it to uh, to gardening and harvesting, mm-hmm. I have I, I didn't have that understanding of it, which I think sure. is why, um, why I particularly have always felt some anxiety come up when this topic right. is addressed. Um, and, and I was actually, you know, just to give some context, I, I was raised in a Christian church, Christian school, even, um, I even went to like a world views camp for one week where we had to take to the streets and right. share our faith share the gospel with the people of this city that where our, uh, our camp was. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. I, I hate this. It's not fun. <laughs> Why would I want to do this? Why am I here? This is summer. And, and even with all of that training and all that official kind of like having all the right answers, um, it didn't it didn't really give me a, the understanding that I have had after hearing you talk about it. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you explain how you really think about evangelism? In the yeah. Life? The, the game plan, thank you for this. And it's a very important point. The game plan is predicated on a kind of renewed or a different or an altered understanding of how evangelism is meant to work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I was, became a Christian during the Jesus movement, in 1973, you know, and back then it was like, you take a trip, and you go out on the beach and we did this Waikiki beach for two summers in a row man we had big projects and when then we had one here in Southern California uh, a couple years later and and we'd go out uh, and share Christ and use a, a kind of simple gospel presentation in a mm-hmm. tract and it and these all these tracts always have a kind of sinner's prayer at the end now there's nothing wrong with that but I just want to make the observation that this approach to evangelism is a harvesting approach. That is, you're going out there to harvest, which is why there is a prayer at the end. Okay. And again, I don't object to that approach. I've used that. I've won people to Christ with that many years ago. And that is, I've used that technique and people have prayed and and they're still around today. You know, some of them I know. Um, But this particular way of approaching evangelism is not a biblical motif. I'm not saying that it is unbiblical, like contrary to the Bible, but it is non-biblical. It isn't in the Bible. Um, And it's a motif that really began to get more popular in the mid-19th century with altar calls and deciding to receive Christ. It was the second great awakening. And and so um, as a result, we kind of inherited a certain pattern that Mm -hmm. is, again, harvest-oriented. Now, this presumes that the people we're talking about are ripe for harvest. Well, most people that we talk to are not ripe for harvest, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was, and, and I shared the same exact frustration that, that you shared and that you expressed a few moments ago, Haley. And uh, then I stumbled on this passage, this strange passage, John chapter 4. Like, how many times have I read that in my life? A gazillion, and so have many others. Famous passage of the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. Well, after Jesus talks to the woman at the well there in Sychar, the disciples come up to him, and then Jesus says something significant. He says, "He says you are about to reap where you did not sow. You are about to reap where you did not sow. In other words, somebody else did the uh, the heavy lifting, and you're about to get the easy pickings. 
okay, and Sychar at that. The field is white for harvest. Look at right here. We're ready to rock and roll here. Look at that. And you get the easy job. But when Jesus made this statement, he, um, he, he is identifying one field and one team, but two seasons and two kinds of workers. Mm-hmm. The season of sowing and the season of reaping and those who sow and those who reap. And he sa- says that right in the passage explicitly. The proverb is fulfilled that some sow and some reap, okay? Mm-hmm. And and so um, I got to thinking about this and uh, to, uh, for a little aphorism, a little saying that kind of is catchy and memorable that captures this idea. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. That's my language about putting it, sowing, reaping. This is harvest, yeah, but you gotta garden first. Everybody knows that who has a garden. Every farmer knows that. It's really common sense, but it's common sense in this too when we think about it. Mm -hmm. That means if our techniques are harvesting techniques, and that's the way we see evangelism, well, we're only looking at one little sliver and we're missing the gardening part, okay? The yeah. things that we do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there in a person's life, and I don't mean just one person doing that, but the body of Christ doing that. It took me a long time, even way back when there wasn't all this kind of conflict we're facing now, to become a Christian from kind of a basically a heathen perspective, you know? I had to think about it. Different people talked to me, my brother mostly, but my younger brother. But this was the gardening being done in my life until it got to the point where I was ready for harvest. And I'll tell you, Haley, when I became a Christian on September 28, 1973, my brother came over to my apartment that time in West LA and began to talk to me more about Jesus. And here's what I told him. I said, Mark, you don't need to tell me any more about Jesus. I'm already ready to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. So what happened is when the fruit was ripe, all he did was bump into it and it fell into the basket. Yeah. The harvest is easy when the fruit is ready. Right. What happens with us? Why is this so hard for us when we go out? Because we're trying to harvest fruit that's not ripe. Yeah, We're trying to get exactly. people to sign on the dotted line. And if they don't, oh, bummer. Nobody prayed with me to receive Christ, okay? Mm-hmm. So what I, it, it, so there you see kind of the contrast between the gardening and the harvesting. And when I look back on my life, I realized um, that I'm really a gardener. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say something that your listeners are gonna really, and viewers are gonna really be surprised at, but I just said it over the weekend to a group in Seattle. It's been at least 30 years, probably more, since I've prayed with anybody to receive Christ. And I'm chuckling at that, because I know people are thinking, what a loser, you know? You, no, you're a Christian leader, you do this. You haven't prayed with anybody to receive Christ. That's right, because what I've been doing is gardening, gardening, gardening. In my public speaking, in my writing, in my interviews, you know, when I'm on campuses around the country, yeah. what am I, I'm, I'm trying to convert people. I'm just trying to give them something to think about. So this means that my goal now in gardening is to just, the way I put it is, I just wanna put a stone in their shoe. When I have a conversation with somebody, I'm not trying to win them to Christ. Mm -hmm. I just want to give them something to think about. I want to kind of annoy them in a good way, you know, Mm -hmm. stone in the shoe. Okay, now comes the point in the podcast when I get to tell you about the sponsor that makes this episode possible. And that is my business, H. Williams Creative. H. Williams Creative is my web design and graphic design business where I help 
businesses of all shapes and sizes shine online and show up with their best foot forward. Whether you need a WordPress website, email marketing help, social media help, templates, a new logo, a rebrand, check out my website at hwilliamscreative.com and you can see some of my work, my portfolio, you can read testimonials from past clients. This is what I do. I have been running this business and loving it, honestly, for about a decade. So come find me at hwilliamscreative.com if you need any sort of web design, graphic design, or small business digital consulting help. All right, back to my conversation with Greg Kokel. Yeah, I think that's so, so helpful to hear you explain all that because I know for me, that was a new concept when I first heard you explain it. And I'm sure many listeners are like, what? Why has no one told me that? Why did no one tell me I didn't have to mm-hmm. close the deal? Um, and and I think maybe some of us, you know, the way we were raised or taught, whether it was inadvertently, accidentally, not saying this was the intent, but it does kind of create, if you think of it that way, that that I need to get out there and I need to go pray, you know, have have 10 people pray the prayer and that's how I am a successful evangelist. That's how I'm right. sharing my faith. That's what it is to be a growing Christian and to trust God. What it really just does though, uh, if you go with that that attitude and that perspective is create kind of a workspace faith that is, um, it, it can, I think it can really mm-hmm. turn into that because you're like, if I don't do this, you know, I'm failing or I feel like a failure. In that and, way, in, in that, that particular way, way that's the key. Right. Right. Yeah. And, then, and then it's all on me as though I am the one with the power here. If I only said the right thing, I could enact this person's heart to change. Right. And we understand. I mean, I don't think most of us would say we believe that, but we kind of are acting like that. If we yeah. if we make it a do or die, all or nothing, if they don't come to faith in that conversation, you've you've failed. Yeah. Um, instead of understanding that God is sovereign over that person's life and he might use you and a hundred other people in the story of their salvation. That's a perfect way of putting it, God's sovereignty, because it gives me the ability to rest in the process, knowing I can do what I can do. And maybe it's not going to be much in any given situation. Maybe it's going to be more. I have a game plan. We'll talk about a few minutes that makes it easier to do this, but I want to make one other observation uh, because This thing is still echoing in people's minds here. Wait a minute, 30 years and hasn't prayed. I'm not sure about that. That doesn't sound right. Um, So let me point something out. Um, You heard the apologist. He wrote the best-selling Christian book, Cold, Cold Cold Cased Christianity. Magnificent book. It's one of the best apologetics books I've ever read. And he's since uh, he's a former cold case detective who uh, never lost a case that went to trial. And he solved crimes, murders that were committed 30 years ago and were at the, the trail had gone completely cold and he was able to survive. So he's a super investigator. And he just, he was a very hardcore atheist and he decided to use his investigative skills to in, anal, analyze the gospels to see if they were reliable test, uh, testimony by eyewitnesses and whether he could draw conclusions about this from that. And in his analysis, And so he wrote a book about it called Cold Case Christianity, still a bestseller. So um, 
and now he's written uh, Forensic Faith, and he's written God's Crime Scene, and he keeps trading on all of his kind of police experience to work in how he, how he resolves these issues. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, J. Warner Wallace, who was an atheist who became a Christian and now a best-selling author and a wonderful, unbelievable Christian speaker. I was with him last weekend in Seattle. Um, Jim was in my garden before he was a Christian. Mm. Jim was listening to our radio show, Jay Warner, to our radio show before he was a Christian. You know what happened? Somebody went into my garden and they harvested my crop. How (laughs) dare they? How dare they, right? No, I don't care. Jesus said there in John 4, the, the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. So it isn't like I'm not having an impact for the gospel. Mm-hmm. Jay Warner Wallace will tell you that one of the reasons he's a Christian is because of the impact that my gardening had in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, others might know of uh, Abdu Murray. Abdu Murray was a Muslim who uh, was an attorney in, in uh, Detroit and um, ended up becoming a Christian and then became a Christian apologist. And he's written about four books now. And then he began to work for Ravi Zacharias. And now he's a senior vice president at RZIM. Wow. And Abdu Murray was in my garden. Wow. Abdu Murray was listening to our radio show two decades ago when he was still a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I know this because Abdu met me and took me out to dinner to tell me the impact that mm-hmm. Stand to Reason and the show and our gardening had had mm-hmm. in his life. So I just want people to see the connectedness here. It isn't like I'm taking the easy way out. I'm just doing what I'm gifted for. And I actually think, uh, Haley, most people are gardeners. Yeah. They're not harvesters. The harvesters don't feel bad about, they're not scared. They charge forward, you know. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if anybody's upset with what I'm saying right now, it's probably because you're a harvester. (laughs) But the gardeners are breathing a sigh of relief and they're saying, hey, maybe there's a place for me. And if this guy can give me a game plan that will allow me to engage and do gardening better, try to put a stone in someone's shoe, then maybe I'll get off the bench and get into play. And that's what I'm after. Yeah, that's, that's so helpful. I think that that is good. I mean, like you just said, I think a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief at the thought that they could actually take an active approach and, and yet the pressure would be off that they don't have to close the deal every time they can just, they can just share in a way that is authentic and and natural for them that God has gifted them with. Mm -hmm. Um, Incidentally, by the way, in the book of Acts, nobody ever tried to close the deal. You can read every single time that the gospel is preached, individuals or groups. And uh, that's 13 times, by the way, I've read them all. And, and you will never find an appeal to, 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 for, for individuals to, to pray the prayer. There is an appeal to trust and to believe. Mm-hmm. That's what repent means. Repent means to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. So there's an appeal that is made in general to believe in Jesus, but there's now, okay, bow your heads and let's have the prayer. There's none of that, mm-hmm. okay? That comes later. And there was an understanding that the preaching, it, preaching of the gospel, the word itself with the power of the Holy Spirit had the ability to change 
people's heart and create faith in them and and the gift of faith as paul says in ephesians 2 and then they be they trusted in the lord the the challenge to receive christ in the way that we think about it now is almost completely absent in the book of acts wow that's so interesting well i know you wrote a whole book on this and so absolutely people need to go read it but as far as you know your approach um and Mm -hmm. the game plan what can you share with listeners today um, as far as as how to kind of think about sure. that, yeah. Well, this is the bridge. This is the the tool that I use to take whatever information I have, and I have more than most because this is what I do for a living. I've been studying it for many, many years. But even if you have almost nothing, uh, in fact, I told a group this weekend where I taught it, and I'll be in Phoenix next weekend, a couple days, uh, teaching the same thing, and I'll promise them something. I said I'll, I'm going to give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you know, or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. And the game plan consists of of, of basically three steps. Now, we have a lot of um, uh, tactics we teach at Stand to Reason there in the book, and they have names like suicide and just taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and steamroller and what a friend we have in Jesus and inside out. These are all kind of maneuvers to help you to stay in the driver's seat of the conversation without being overbearing or obnoxious, okay? Mm-hmm. But there is one tactic that is the core of the game plan. And uh, it's the easiest way imaginable to stop a challenger in their tracks, to uh, get them thinking, turn the tables, and to put you in the driver's seat, okay? When, when you're in the driver's seat, by the way, it doesn't mean you're doing all the talking. You're doing less of the talking, mm-hmm. but you are directing the conversation using a very particular technique. And this particular tactic, which is the core of the game plan that teaches this technique, I call Columbo. Um, after the... <laughs> Uh, the infamous uh, C- Lieutenant Colombo of TV frame fame like four decades ago. So a lot, millennials and younger probably are not too aware of Colombo. But he's a guy who showed up in the crime. You can find him on YouTube. He's a guy who shows up in the crime scene with an old trench coat. Looks like he slept in it, a stub of a cigar. That's before those things were politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and he didn't, he's got a pad of paper. He doesn't got a pen. He's got to bum it off of somebody else. And he just scratches his head all the time. He doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper mm-hmm. bag, you know. So he's coming in really low-key, really relaxed. Nobody's scared of him. But he, at some point, he'll pause and he'll scratch his head like he's deep in painful thought. And then he'll say, oh, something about this thing that bothers me, you know. Do you mind if I ask you a question? So he asks a question. Oh, you're very intelligent. Yeah, thank you. Oh, one more thing. And then he one more tings him to death with question after question after question. So the key to the Columbo tactic is to is to use questions to maneuver in conversation. Mm-hmm. And what the questions do is provide a tremendous area, and, and I specify exactly how that's done, a tremendous area of safety. Because think of it, when you're asking questions, um, uh, first of all, y- you are guiding the conversation. Look at, look at right, right now, you and I have a conversation. There you are, sitting relaxing. I'm doing all the heavy lifting, right? <laughs> I'm doing all the work. Right. You're relaxed. But I'm going in the direction that you want me to go because of the questions that mm-hmm. you have asked me, mm-hmm. okay? So you're guiding this as an interviewer. Same thing in, in our conversations with others. This is how we stay in the driver's seat. Plus, there's no pressure on the Christian when they're listening and the other person is talking. Right. If they're asking questions and they're not making statements, so they're not 
vulnerable to attack in the same way. You're saying I'm already prepared to do this because I, I do a podcast, so I already um, know how to absolutely. do this, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you, you have to develop that, <coughs> pardon me, in order to be a good podcaster. Mm -hmm. So um, so, so, how does this work in our situation like when we're, we're, we're engaged in a conversation that we hope will lead to spiritual things? Um, how does this, how do we do this? Well, I mentioned there are three steps to the game plan, and the first one is really, really simple. What I don't want people to do is, thinking about, is think about the end game. Am I going to lead this person to Christ or anything like that? Forget about that. You, this person might be a Christian. Mm -hmm. You may never even get off the ground with this person. Mm -hmm. That's a distraction. That's a pressure you don't need. Here's the only thing you want to do initially is you want to gather information. Mm -hmm. So the first step is to gather information. And you do that by asking questions. And um, what I suggest is some form of the question, what do you mean by that? So in the book, I have a, a, an occasion uh, illustration, actually anecdote, because uh, I was in Wisconsin with my wife and we were getting some film development. This is obviously oh, about 15 years ago mm -hmm. when they still used film for cameras. Right. And um, the lady had a pentagram around her neck and a pentagram is often a occultic symbol. So I asked her, is that religion? I'm sorry, does that uh, jewelry have religious significance? Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, yes, it does. I'm a pagan. You know, and she started going into being, she's a witch, right? And so we had this interesting conversation. But how did it start? I just saw something and I said, what do you mean by that, essentially? Mm -hmm. And then she explained. And I'm listening most of the time. And the more she explained about her view, the more questions I had for clarification of her view. Mm -hmm. So basically, the first step is not a pressure step. It is a courteous step of drawing another person out to get their point of view on something. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially when it comes to spiritual things and people make challenges. Uh, do you believe in evolution? Mm -hmm. uh, do, do you take the Bible literally? Do you, do, God, God, God doesn't exist. Uh, Jesus never existed. Uh, the Bible's been changed. All these kinds of things people either say or ask. They should always be followed by a request for more information. Hmm. Uh, Haley, I think some of your viewers, when I just fired out that list of questions, they already felt a little anxiety inside of them because they're thinking, I, I don't know what I'd say. I don't know what I'd say. Right. I don't know how I'd respond to that. Now I'm telling you, here's what you say. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by evolution? You say, do I believe in evolution? It depends what you mean by it. Uh, what do you mean when you say, do you believe in the Bible literally? Well, it kind of depends what you mean by that. So what do you have in mind? What specifically mm -hmm. do you have in mind? By the way, there's lots of different kinds of evolution. Right. My theology has evolved over time. Yes. So I believe in evolution in that sense. Right. You know? So I want more clarification. If somebody says, well, I mean, do you believe in Darwinian evolution? Then I want to say, well, what what kind of Darwinian evolution? Because there, can you specify exactly what you're asking me? Because I can't answer because it's ambiguous. Throw the ball in their court, okay? So this gives me safety. No matter what a person challenges me with, I can buy some time by asking for more mm -hmm. information, okay? So that's the first step, and it's it's huge. It, it's unbelievable how much progress people can make and how easy this can be when you get an education of, of, of another person's view because as they start talking more and more about it, 
you realize there's more ambiguities that need to be clarified. And so you graciously and politely are asking to learn more about their view. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Who doesn't care? Like talking about their view, you know, aren't people going to mad at you? No, I've never had anybody mad at me for asking them what they, for clarification of their view. And, uh, and then after they clarify it, then you can decide whether you want to go a little further. And this leads to the second step. And I'm, I'm really abbreviating things here sure. for the sake of time, but I go into a lot of detail in each step in the book and give lots and lots of illustrations. Mm-hmm. But the second step, if the other side has made a claim of some sort, well, you, you can't rely on the Bible. It's filled with contradiction. Now that's a statement, that's a claim. They're, they're claiming something controversial or there is no god or jesus never existed okay or on and on and on the second question after you get clarification is not now to try to refute their view pardon me Mm -hmm. they're the ones who gave the view and so the burden of proof rule is if you make the claim then you bear the burden of proof for the claim you made Mm especially if it's controversial. right? If somebody says, hey, there is no God, it's not my job to show them that there is a God, not initially. It's their job to give reasons why I should believe the controversial claim that they made. Right. And so this is why what I'm going to do at this point is say, okay, now I understand what you mean regarding this thing. Let me ask you another question if it's okay. How did you come to that conclusion? Now I know what you think is true. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's true? Mm-hmm. What are your reasons for that? And then I'm listening. Wow. Now, those are very simple. Mm-hmm. Those are the first two steps of a three-step game plan. Anybody can do this. Yeah. Any Christian who knows nothing at all. <laughs> can ask those questions, right? You can ask those questions. Right. That's the simple part of it. And notice, Haley, when they're asking the questions, they are not in any position of vulnerability mm-hmm. because they're not making any claims. Mm-hmm. They're not saying the guy is wrong or the gal is wrong or whatever. They're just trying to figure out what they believe and why they believe it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to uh, uh, give you a tip about what happens oftentimes with either of these two uh, statements. And here, here comes a, a 60s alert here, <laughs> 60s warning. You're, they're going to get, oftentimes, you ask you, what do you mean by that? Or how'd you come to that conclusion? Some variation of those questions. You're going to get what I call the Simon and Garfunkel response. Mm-hmm. Now, remember those guys in 1966, they wrote great this music. great song called The Sounds of Silence was the song that they wrote in 66. And that's what you're going to get. You say, well, okay, I'm kind of confused. What do you mean by, you say everything's relative. What do you mean by relative? Mm-hmm. Dead air, you know? Right. They don't know. The fact is, so many people who raise objections against the Christian and against Christianity have not thought through their objections. They are just repeating what other people have said that have been adequate to stonewall the Christian. And so if we just ask them, okay, I'm, I, I need more clarification on that. Mm-hmm. What exactly do you mean? What are you getting at? They, they can't go any further. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the silence is embarrassing for them because they've had this strong statement, but they can't make any sense out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they can make sense out of it. But when you ask them, okay, why do you think that's true? Why do you, how did you come to that conclusion? What are your reasons for this? Mm-hmm. Dead air again, <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel, you know? Yeah. And this is a stunner for many Christians to realize this. Now, notice what's happened just with the first two steps. 
here we have a Christian who doesn't know anything except for they're engaging and want to make a difference. And so they're asking questions of the other person regarding their view and their reasons for it. Mm -hmm. And the other person's got nothing. I mean, they're oftentimes, yeah. not always, but oftentimes. And, and that's a stunner to the Christian because the Christian think these guys got it all together and I can't answer their challenges when they can't even make sense of their challenges much of the time. Mm -hmm. So th th that's the first two steps of the game plan. And again, in the book, there's all kinds of illustrations um, and uh, of how this plays out in conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can really see the power of it. But um, it, it, the first thing I said you'll notice when you ask these two questions is that you'll be surprised that people won't have anything to say. Yeah. Sounds of silence, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Here's the second thing. You'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit is going to do in that person. Make a difference in the conversation, even though you haven't advanced your own view. Wow. Because part of putting a stone in people's shoe is to get them thinking about the legitimacy of their own own view mm -hmm. and these questions that now they can't answer very well very likely will cause them to wonder about their own view and maybe they won't let on but they're actually hobbling away with that stone in their shoe that you put there and i know and i want your people to think about this because they know about this because it's happened to them they have talked to non-Christians who have asked them questions about their own view and the reasons for their view, and they haven't been able to uh, answer it. And they may have this great poker face, and they're thinking, oh yeah, well, don't worry, I can't, uh, whatever, whatever, I just have faith, you know, and then they walk away with a stone in their shoe, and they're wondering based on the challenge or the question that was asked by the atheist or the skeptic, maybe their view isn't really true. Yeah. So it works both directions. Mm -hmm. And it's legitimate to ask these kinds of questions. Yeah. So it's very powerful in those two regards. That is powerful. I, I mean, it, get, it actually gets me excited to have this opportunity, <laughs> you know, which, is, which is the opposite of what I was describing at the beginning, hearing you talk about uh -huh. this. It's like, oh, do I have to go share my faith? But the way that you're, you're describing this for us, it's, it's really actually there hasn't been a lot of sharing yet. It's just asking yeah. the right questions to let that person right. get themselves to the place that they need to be uh, for you to either have an opportunity. I'm guessing that's part of step three, deciding whether or not you yeah, and we'll get, to go there. We'll get to that step three in a minute, but notice all you're doing here is getting intel, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You're just trying to get the lay of the land mm -hmm. because it, in any, I mean, this kind of military metaphor and and we, we the military metaphors are helpful as long as we understand that we're not in combat with these people, you know. We want our engagements to look more like diplomacy than D-Day, yeah. but there is some uh, appropriateness to some of these military metaphors because you know you don't charge over a hill you know when you've got a hostels around and you don't know what's on the other side you know you might just get gunned out you got to get some intel so yeah. you know what you're up against and by the way Haiti sometimes when you know what you're up against you back off right because you realize you're outgunned that is okay in my view. Mm. I have backed off of circumstances when I realize I'm out of my ken. Uh, I can't deal with what I'm facing right now. And so there is some maneuvers you can use to make the best use of that circumstance. Mm -hmm. I call it getting out of the hot seat. Mm -hmm. And it's in one of the chapters in the book. But um, for the most part, I'm not going to go forward and try to make my case mm -hmm. because the setting and the circumstances are not um, are not right for that step mm -hmm. yet.
And it's okay. It isn't because I'm a loser, because I'm failing as a Christian. It's because I'm trying to be shrewd, just like Jesus yeah. said. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, to, to assess the circumstances as best I can and make a wise decision on how to pursue. Right. I don't want to bruise the fruit. Right. Yeah. That's, and, and I think that's, that's so helpful to just be reminded of, especially, um, you know, for those of us that, that would feel a sense of uh, disappointment and having to walk away Mm -hmm. from a circumstance, you know, we Mm -hmm. want to come out the victor and a lot of that can be our own flesh and pride, just wanting to win an argument and we could charge in there too hard, bruise the fruit, like you Mm -hmm. said, and then are we actually honoring or glorifying God with that? Mm -hmm. Or is that more about us? You know, because Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us probably have done that in the past. I know I certainly have where it was, I mean, I, I, I wanted to come out the victor. I wanted to be, I wanted to win the argument. I wanted them to go, Oh, you know, dang it. I don't have an answer for that. And, and that's, that's the wrong way reasoning and motive to go about it. And that's not using wisdom, and that's not ultimately glorifying God. I mean, I, I know God yeah. can redeem it, I'm but, with you on that, but that's, yeah. not, that's not the right way to go about it. Let me take, give you an example or an anecdote uh, of how this kind of played out quickly here. Um, I was sitting next to a, a fellow named um, John on the airplane once. We got into conversation a little bit. Uh, he saw me reading my Bible, and he asked me where I'm going, and so I'm telling him I'm going to this event. So this the issue of Christianity is now in the conversation, right? I'm drawing him out, too. He tells me he's not a Christian. I mean, very, very friendly. Well, I'm not. I said, By the way, is that good information to know? <laughs> yes. He said, and, but I used to be a Christian. Oh, okay, that's another good piece of information to know. And then he said he used to be a preacher's kid. And I said, how did you used to be a preacher's kid? Did your dad die? He said, no, my dad didn't die. He's he's just not a preacher anymore. Oh, okay. And in fact, he's no longer a Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that a good piece of information yeah. to know? Yes, in fact, this, this I mean, this uh, there's some baggage sitting next to me here. So yeah. I let him tell his story. All right. And I asked him more circumstances. What happened? You know, and and basically an abusive church environment and Christians Mm -hmm. can be like that. And finally it turned him off. It turned his dad off and they both left Christianity. All right. Mm -hmm. And he's really telling me a rough story. And I'm just listening. And then he says this to me. He says, "Um, you know, people like you, (laughs) people like me, (laughs) people like you, you Christians read Bibles on airplanes kind of thing. You know, you would, most people would be really upset by what I just told you, he said. But you're not mad at me. And I really appreciate that. Wow. Yeah. Now, let me ask you do you think that by itself might have been a little stone in his shoe? Yes. Where he's talking to what he thinks is a reasonably intelligent individual who still is a Christian, who is willing to listen to his tales of woe and sympathize with his mistreatment. Yeah, I think so. And what had I done? Had I preached the gospel? No. In fact, if I had started to preach the gospel kind of out of the shoots with this guy, mm-hmm. um, he would have probably said, yeah, been there, done that, and it hurt. Yeah. But instead, because I'm using my game plan, I'm drawing him out. I'm getting the lay of the land. I'm letting him talk. And I think just letting him talk and respecting his experience, though being a Christian myself and not getting angry, um, had a salutary effect on that man. In fact, I when I left, uh, got off the plane, I had his email in my pocket that he mm-hmm. gave me because he wanted me to send him an article that I'd written about something he had, had a question about. Yeah. So, wow, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, see how that can work. It's amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And then you know, we're acting like I'm, I'm acting like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But at the same time. 
it actually, all you're doing is following Christ's example of how he, you know, how he asked questions. He, he didn't did. come at them. He, the first thing he said to the woman at the well was not, hi, I'm the Messiah. You're in sin. You need me. I'm the living water. Wake up. You know, he, he didn't do that. He asked questions to draw her out. And then he showed that he, he already knew who she was and right. that he had some, you know, he cared for her outside of just preaching at her. And so I think that, you know, although it is like surprising because we don't see this a lot, it's also like, well, of course, of course, if we follow that model, like it would work better because that's the one Christ showed us and it's us trusting in God and not ourselves to be the the savior. Yeah. Jesus actually asked more than 300 questions in the gospels. I mean, he, he used the Colombo tactic. (laughs) He didn't call it that, (laughs) but he used it to great effect. Yeah. Um, so let's see, did we, we already, we didn't get to the third step, did we? No, we didn't. Okay. okay. I'm glad okay. you brought so it up. What's the third little, step? Thank you for asking. The third step, remember the first one is we, we're, we're gathering information with the question, what do you mean by that? Or some mm-hmm. version. The second step, we are, if they make a claim, we are reversing the burden of proof. We are asking them to justify their claim, but in a nice way. So what are your reasons? I'm curious, um, if you have any. The third step, and notice that neither of these are we kind of going on the offensive. We're not making our point. Well, that's the third step. You use questions to make a point. Mm -hmm. You use questions to make a point. Now, the point you might be making is your own view. You want to give your own view. But what I talk about in the book is a way of using questions to kind of set that up Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and get them to follow along with you so that you can make your point indirectly or at least through the use of questions and then, and then uh, be much more effective at it. Um, you can also, the po- one point you might want to make is that their view is wrong. So you might want to say your view is right and here's why, what I want you to think about. You mind if I ask you a few questions about this? Boom, boom, boom. And you're using your questions like an attorney might to lead them to a conclusion, yours. Or you might be showing not that you're right, but that they're wrong. And you're trying to point out a flaw in their view. So when an atheist, simple example, when an atheist um, who is a materialist or naturalist, that is, they only believe that they believe that the only thing that exists is the material world, all right? That things are all, you know, meet all the way down. There's no invisible world. There's no God. There's no, you know, um, there's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no spirits. There's no miracles, all this other stuff. But actually, if you're a materialist, there's no morality either because morality is not physical. All you have is kind of an evolutionary make-me-up where people are, by evolution, driven to do certain things they call moral, but they're not really moral, okay? So there's no morality. Now, this same atheist, though, who holds that view is quick to object to the God of the Bible being a a genocidal, homophobic, ethnocentric, uh, woman-hating, you know, bigot kind of thing. This is a paraphrase of Richard Dawkins' assessment of the God of the Bible. But Richard Dawkins is already in print as saying that there is no evil, there is no good, there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And that's a quote. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be your naturalist Mm -hmm. view of no evil, no good? Well, that's consistent with naturalism. But then where is he going with this, calling God bad? You know, right. How can all these things. And so ways? when they do that, 
I think that's a mistake. It's they they are, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. You can't have it both ways. All right. So I could point that out. I say, look, you're contradicting yourself. You don't have any foundation for morality. So how can you call God evil? Okay. But that would be a little inelegant way of doing it. Uh, So what I do instead is say, where are you getting your moral standard by which you're judging God now? Hmm. You don't believe in God, right? Okay. And morality then is not objective. It's just your own personal opinion. Right. So where are you getting your morality, the moral code, the standard that you're judging God by? So mm-hmm. I'm throwing the question out. And if they say, well, this is just what my evolution has made in me. I said, well, then, so you're saying that your evolution disagrees with God or with the Bible? Who cares? Why should anybody care what your evolution says? Their evolution, the guys who wrote it, their evolution gave them a different point of view. So how is your point of view better than theirs if they're both produced by evolution? Notice how I asked a question. Every time I ask the question, the ball goes back in their court. Now, um, Haley, what this requires is that I have to know what's wrong with their view in order to ask a question to Mm -hmm. exploit the, the, the mistake. Right. And this is why the third step is more challenging. But you see, this is what you've been preparing your listeners, your viewers for, yeah. for weeks and weeks with your own podcast. You've been laying out the knowledge element. Here's what's wrong with this, that, and the other thing. Once they internalize these ideas, all they have to think about now, if they get in a conversation with somebody, is to take the concepts that you've taught them and find ways of employing them in a conversation by using questions, mm-hmm. that kind of incisive question that makes the that gets the person thinking about the legitimacy of their own point of view, and that's what all the really all the rest of the almost all of the rest of the tactics are for, mm-hmm. is to f- help find the flaws, and employ the particular tactic like taking the roof off or suicide or just the facts, ma'am or road scholar, taking that particular tactic and employing it using questions to undermine the other person's case. So that's yeah. the third. That's so helpful and so interesting. And yeah, I think, uh, like you said, you know, we've definitely been talking about the content that, uh, you know, in this whole series. And certainly that's something that we're all going to be always growing in our knowledge and yes, understanding hopefully. of, of right. our own worldview and the worldviews of people around us. I think that's important um, for the believer to, to really be kind of always learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple questions for you that are a little bit, uh, you know, parallel to this conversation, but on a different topic, if I can That's ask fine. you. Sure. Uh, so I want to ask you about the role of the Holy Spirit, because mm-hmm. I think this is, we've sort of alluded to it a couple of times, but um, I think this might be an area that I see uh, a lot of believers, especially maybe younger people like uh, millennials and then even younger than that, the Gen Z generation really may be seeing this a little differently. They, I've heard people say, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, I'm not the Holy Spirit, right? I can't save someone. So I'm just going to kind of let, I'm going to take a back seat and I'm going to trust that God is going to, if like, they're going to say to their friend who is maybe come, comes to them with some sin issue. And this person's a Christian. The, the, the friend brings this in issue to, the, to their friend knowing, hey, they're a Christian. They're probably going to throw the Bible at me, but let's just see what they do. And they kind of hands off it and say, 
well, I, I just trust that God is going to do what he's going to do in your life. You just seek him. I'm kind of going to sit back here and like, I, I I just want you to look into that for yourself. Sure. Sure. Hands off approach because they're like, I'm not the, I'm not the Holy spirit. I can't, I can't actually convict their, their heart or open their spiritual eyes of their heart. If there is blindness there, which I'm like, yes, I, I agree with you, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, we also have to have to believe and understand that like the very means God may be using to reach that person might be you. So how do you uh, talk to people about their role and not trying to be the Holy spirit, but at the same time, not sitting on their hands and saying, I'll just wait for God to work. Right. Well, I think what the attempt here to do is to employ a biblical concept of the role of the Holy spirit. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what is just, and, and legitimize it that way. And of course the Holy spirit plays an, a vital role, not an important role, a vital role, okay? <clears throat> I mean, without the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that's going to go on that's good, all right? right? So the Holy Spirit's role is vital. But if our our understanding of Scripture and the role of the Holy Spirit reduces us to the view you just described, then we are not taking a biblical approach because the Bible has a whole lot more to say about the the role of, of us as individuals and it, uh, in, in a certain sense, cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. C- curiously, most of what the Bible talks about regarding these things, it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. Mm-hmm. It talks about what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And then we get insight in some passages, and we know that the Holy Spirit is kind of working in the background to accomplish stuff, but most of the conversation is about what we are supposed to be doing. So here's the way I like to put it, Haley. I think that t- to describe the role um, uh, it, it's almost like the Chalcedonian formula with the two natures of Christ. It's 100% God and 100% man. So our involvement here, it's 100% God, 100% man. In other words, God does 100% of what he's supposed to do. That's the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We can count on him to do his job. But we are supposed to do 100% of our job. So let's just say we have another Christian, uh, a brother who we know is in sin and comes to us, or we have some visibility of it, and uh, and we're thinking, well, like you said, I'll just let the Holy Spirit convict him, all right? But that isn't what the Scripture tells us to do. It says in Galatians chapter 6, if anybody is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore mm-hmm. such a one, looking to yourselves, lest you also be tempted. And in Matthew 18, we have also a pattern there of dealing with somebody in sin. So the Holy Spirit's involved in the process, but what he, he, the Holy Spirit almost never works immediately. In other words, bang, Holy Spirit right into that person's heart. Nobody else is involved. It's just them and God. It does happen, and God can do whatever he wants. But most of the time, the Holy Spirit works immediately. That means he works through someone else. Mm-hmm. And so when you see Paul going on his missionary journeys, he doesn't say, you know, we're just going to, you know, hang out with folks and be nice. Yeah. He's taking the initiative to engage, all right? Mm-hmm. And so that is the model that he is to us. Jesus, what did Jesus do? He took the initiative to engage. Is he depending on the Holy Spirit? Of course he is. But he's not expecting the Holy Spirit just to do whatever, 
you go ahead and do this, you know, I'm just going to, you know, sit around and eat fish and biscuits with the disciples, right? No, Jesus is day and night, basically, ceaselessly during his ministry, uh, working, 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 praying and watching God do the ultimate accomplish the, the ultimate ends. So that would be my advice to, to Christians. We have a role to play. And what the, I do talk about this in chapter two of the book. You know, people say, well, no one can come to God through an argument. Mm-hmm. Well, this is just false. It's false. J. Warner Wallace became a Christian and through an argument, and now he's a profound Christian communicator and writer. And um, uh, for just for one example, I know a lot of them. And, uh, but it was the Holy Spirit who used the argument as a means to bring him to faith. So the Holy Spirit's involved. It's not that we're just depending on this argument. And plus, Jesus used arguments all the time. Mm-hmm. The apostles use arguments all the time. So, I mean, this is the, a biblical motif. We see it everywhere. John chapter 5, Jesus said, you won't believe in me because I'm the one who's saying it. And you say, one man, one witness, that's enough. Okay, what about the witness of John the Baptist? Mm-hmm. Okay, what about the witness of Moses? He wrote of me, by the way. What about the witness of my miracles? Believe because of that. What about the rest of the scriptures that speak of me? Now, what is Jesus doing? He's constructing an apologetics argument, giving the evidences why people ought to believe what he's saying. It's right there in John 5. Right. I bet that, you know, a lot of when we hear people say no one ever came to faith through an argument, that's that's uh, probably more of a secular argument and view of what evangelism really is and just believing that. Uh, for instance, to argue with someone over, for instance, the fact that there's absolute truth or that there is a, an objective standard of right and wrong or good and evil is unkind. Mm-hmm. And that's mean. And we shouldn't do <laughs> that. We shouldn't put our, you know, put our evil on, you know, our evil view on someone else and say, yeah. that, like, who are we? And, yeah. And By the way, let me just, let me jump in though and just point out that this is the suicide tactic that immediately comes to mind because the person who's saying it's wrong to mm-hmm. make judgments on other people and tell right. them they're wrong are telling you they're wrong. Yeah, it's wrong to tell you, it, it is wrong to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. So there's the obvious contradiction, right. suicidal tendency right in the point. But the way you expressed it is the way most people express it. Mm-hmm. And if Christians aren't alert, they aren't going to see the contradictory nature of the statement, you know? And that's where the tactics come in. When you learn these things, you see things you have never seen before. Incidentally, let me make a distinction between an argument and a quarrel. Mm -hmm. When I say argument, I don't mean a fight. I mean a principled discussion about a matter of truth for which you give reasons. And when you give reasons for the truth, that God can use that. He specifically tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, though, don't, don't get into fights with people. Right. The Lord's bondservant should not be quarrelsome, but rather patient when wronged. Right. Which that's, that's a, maybe a, a, a good segue to my next question is many of us are very afraid of escalation. We, you know, I might not be this way. I'm, I don't, I don't mind a good argument in the sense that you discussed. I mean, I, I don't like quarreling, but I, I actually do like debating ideas and, and, and I'm, I'm okay with disagreement. Sure. Um, but a lot of people aren't, and they're afraid of the escalation. They're afraid of either making someone angry or becoming angry themselves and not being able to keep their cool. Sure. Um, can you talk about about that? What happens sure. if we or someone else get mad? Okay, well, there, there's two sides to that. If I get angry, or they get angry, okay? And uh, I have a, a kind of very simple rule about this, and, uh, and this helps me 
to manage my own emotions and situations. Mm -hmm. If I get mad, I lose. Mm -hmm. Okay? If I get mad, it's over with because they're not going to be persuaded by an angry person. Okay? So I got to instruct myself. But what about if they get mad? Well, if they get mad, I lose too. Mm-hmm. Now you can't because they're they're mad, so they're not going to listen. But that doesn't mean you can you can control them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tactical approach is meant to be a shrewd way of maneuvering that keeps things as calm as possible. But there's no guarantee that people are going to get angry. Now, for those of those dear Christian people who who are concerned about you know, I don't want to make people mad at me. Well, who does? I mean, um, Haley, you and I are a little bit more aggressive probably, but we don't still don't like people to be mad at us, you know? Right, right, right. But this is something that a Christian has got to accept. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't accept the idea that when you speak the truth, even graciously, that some people are going to be mad at you and you're willing to live with that, you will never be effective for Christ. In okay. fact, you're going to be an easy target for the left because the left, the political left right now is excessively intimidating. Yeah. And the kinds of things they're doing to punish dissent um, is just going to be too much for some Christians to take. And mm-hmm. so they are going to be bullied into silence. And when you are bullied into silence, you've given over to the mob. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you always have to speak in every circumstance. But I'm just encouraging your viewers to to instruct themselves, take stock of themselves. If this is my approach, that my uh, my my discomfort with be- people being angry at me, which we both understand and share, mm-hmm. is the thing that's going to mean I am going to be silent. Now you have just disqualified yourself from making any difference for the kingdom, and yeah. you have just become one of the lemmings that is going to long, go along with all the left, and you're going to get bullied around into silence. Mm-hmm. Jesus wasn't bullied into silence. The apostles were not bullied into silence. They weren't obnoxious, mm-hmm. but they they did not allow themselves to be bullied. They maneuvered shrewdly, but they would not be silent simply because people would be angry with them. Right. And the fact is, in this country. Um, as bad as it's getting now for Christians compared to the way it used to be, we have it better than any Christians have ever had in the last 2,000 years. Wow. And we have it better than virtually every Christian in the rest of the world has it today. So I yeah. think we should learn to put up with a little bit of uh, hostility from people when we communicate the truth to them. Yeah, I think that's such a great reminder. And I know it's not the easiest uh, thing to hear for some people, but it is just the reality. And I think um, I, I think that we need to remember that we're representatives of Christ. And mm-hmm. our, if we are truly slaves to Christ, do we expect that we will be treated better than he was? Mm-hmm. Like if he's our master, why should we expect better treatment? And they crucified him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's some humility that, that needs to come along with that and also recognition of, where are we finding our identity in what the world says about us and how liked we are, how popular we are, or the fact that, you know, we know who we are because of Christ and what, what he has said of us is, is ultimately uh, what is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to give over to the mob here. And uh, by the way, if it's me and look, I can have a kind of a fiery personality. Sometimes I can get angry easily. 47 years a Christian, you know, and I still have to be vigilant. It's crouching at my door kind of thing. And if I find myself, my, you can feel the heat coming up, 
you know, we all know that actually it happened to me last night in a discussion. That's when I got to take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm not going to say anything more. Mm. It takes some discipline. But Proverbs says, and Proverbs got a lot to say about this kind of thing. So cruise Proverbs and look for them. Here's one of them. A harsh word stirs up anger, Mm -hmm. but a gentle answer turns away wrath. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be reminded of that. If I start getting harsh, I'm just causing trouble. And it'd be better for me just to shut up at this point rather than cause more damage. Take a deep breath. Settle back. Ask a question. Let the other person talk or just graciously break the conversation off. Just let it go. I think yeah. we've had enough for a while. Maybe maybe we'll both think about what each of us has said, and then that's it. It's better than getting into a pitched row mm-hmm. with someone else. Yeah, man, such good advice. So for someone who wants to take the next step and really um, learn how to do this better, where would you point them? <laughs> right here. There you the go. Book. There's there's the pitch. There it yes. is. Yeah. Uh, the tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian yep. uh, convictions, the 10th anniversary edition. Just so you know that there are, um, you. it's in paperback, it's in Kindle, it's uh, all available on Amazon, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, or through Stand to Reason, str.org, at our bookstore there. We have, um, uh, I, I actually read the book. So if people who might be used to my voice from my mm-hmm. own broadcast, which I've been doing for 30 years now, Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they like to hear my voice. And okay, it's more fun doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have the the audible kind of one. We also have the uh, we have a um, a six DVD or actually I think it's eight DVD now with the expanded edition training tool with a workbook that goes so you can have class and I'm the talking head guiding you through the material you know and there's kind of little assignments and exercises that people can do so that can uh, get them. Uh, these are different ways of getting this material into you, whether individually mm-hmm. or by a group. And uh, all of that's available either at Amazon or um, at Stan Teresa. str.org is our website. Okay. And I encourage okay. people to take a look at the, the stuff we have there. My own podcast is available there. We have yeah. uh, actually a number of different podcasts that uh, different of our players, are, what I call my young guns, mm-hmm. um, are, uh, are doing. And um, lots and lots of good material at str.org they can read and yes. be encouraged by. Wow. So helpful and so encouraging. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and for writing this book. I mean, I know it's it's been what a decade since you wrote it, but it's like it, it, it's still so incredibly relevant. Yeah. It's never going to not be relevant. Well, the rewrite was almost as as difficult as the first write because I added a lot of material. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm very, very happy that uh, people are responding so well to it. Glad wow. to help out. Yeah. Thank you so much. And people can connect with you online at, uh, where on social media are you? Well, um, that's a harder question because I, okay. <laughs> I I have a, a Facebook. And if they look up Greg Kokel, it's one of those ones you don't have to friend me to go on because okay. it's, I've got Page. like, 10, yeah. I don't know, lots of people. And then uh, I occasionally will Twitter. And it's okay. it's a Greg Kokel, I mean, G-R-E-G-K-O-U-K-L. And so it okay. shouldn't be hard to find me there. Um, but Stand to Reason is involved in all of the social media uh, forms that are popular right now, Pinterest mm-hmm. and yeah. Instagram. Abracadabra or whatever else is the newest thing out there. I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't follow all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm And that's why doing. you're productive because you're not spending all your time on social media. So yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're really welcome.
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, for being here, for being a subscriber of Kindled. If you're not a subscriber, go ahead and hit subscribe so you get uh, the the episode automatically downloads when I add a new one. And I'm actually going to show up here tomorrow with an announcement on December 1st. So you want to make sure you're subscribed so you get that announcement. Um, that is something that I could not announce today on Monday, but I am going to announce it tomorrow on Tuesday. So make sure you're subscribed. And then also just come find me on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindled if you want to stay connected on social. Um, I also have a Facebook community for Kindled listeners that you can find um, linked on my website on my homepage, kindledpodcast.com. And what else? Uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash kindledpodcast. All of it is linked at my website, kindlepodcast.com. So that's the easiest way to find all of the links. And yeah, I hope you guys have a great Christmas break. Just restful time. Do what you need. Sign off of Instagram, Facebook, delete the apps, whatever you need to do to just enjoy your holiday season and get some, get some downtime, whatever that looks like. Read a book. I don't know. Read five books. I'm going to do my best to read through some of the stack that is on, you know, on my bookshelves that are all the things I want to read so badly, but usually just don't have time for. All right, guys, have a great Christmas. Bye. See you in 2021.